Travis Dodds. This is Greg Oddie. This is Tyson Edwards. And you're listening to Amato's Fifth Quarter. Gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode number five of A5Q. My name is Dan, your host, and today is an episode in particular I'm very, very excited about because anyone who knows me well will know that as a kid and as a teenager, this guy who I've got on today was absolutely my idol. I used to absolutely love him as a player and the way he went about it. Today, from the Adelaide Football Club, my special guest is Tyson Edwards. An absolute legend of the Adelaide Football Club, a legend of the game, and someone who throughout his whole career was always very, very undervalued and didn't gain the recognition he really did deserve. I mean, he was always, in terms of being at the Adelaide Crows, he was sort of, I guess, in the shadows a little bit of, of your Andrew McLeods and your Simon Goodwins, Ben Hart, Marcus Hudos, and and even to a certain extent, players like Brett Burton and Scott Thompson. He, he didn't gain as much attention and as much recognition as these sort of guys, but Make no mistake, Tyson Edwards was a very, very good footballer. He, for a, a shorter guy, I think he was about five foot nine, five foot ten. Very strong overhead, could take a great mark. Uh, very hard to tackle. Very strong through the hips, and and very good tackler himself. A superb kick of the football on both sides of the body, left foot, right foot. Didn't matter to Tyson. Never missed a target. And ultra reliable and consistent. I think in the 16 seasons he played in the AFL, he only missed a combined total of like 15 to 20 games or something crazy like that. So you could always count on him. And it was an absolute honor to have him on the show and just go through his career. He talks about the highs and lows. He talks about coming in as a young guy under Robert Shaw in those early days at Adelaide. Of course, he does talk about the Malcolm Blight era, the 97, 98 premierships. He talks about the Gary Ayres era and when Wayne Carey came to the Crows. That's something I feel hasn't really been spoken a lot about Carey at Adelaide. Uh, the 2005 and six prelims, of course, famously, well, I, I guess in famous uh, moments for the Adelaide Crows fans and, and those years where they really could have gone a lot further than what they did. And then, of course, later in his career and, and the disappointing final season of 2010 that really didn't go to plan at all. He talks about all those things 
It was fantastic to have him on. I'll go through his statistics. From 1995 to 2010, he played 321 games of AFL, 192 goals, played 22 finals. He played in two grand finals for two premierships in 1997 and 1998. So he is a dual premiership player. He won a preseason premiership with Adelaide as well in 2003. He won a showdown medal in 2006. And he also represented Australia in the International Rules Series in 2002. So he didn't win any All-Australians or any Best and Fairest, which still to this day I think is is really sad and really disappointing because he certainly, his best football was certainly good enough to warrant at least one All-Australian and one Best and Fairest. But that's, I suppose, a different conversation for a different day. I'm going to stop talking now. Let's get him on. It is from the Adelaide Football Club, Tyson Edwards, about to come onto the ground. Oh, dragged down by Edwards. Brilliant tackle. This will require a superb kick from Edwards. Puts it on its way. Malcolm Blake! What a kick! It's a touch! No, it's a goal! Yes! Sensational kick from Tyson Edwards! And the Crows fans are alive! Now, Tyson Edwards, have a look at this for a mark. Coming from the side and he flies high over his Ooh. teammate there, Ben Hart. This time, at two, Tyson Edwards in game three, two, one. Countdown complete! Welcome back to Amato's fifth quarter. And today I'm very lucky to be joined by one of the greats of the Adelaide Football Club. It's Tyson Edwards. Tyson, thank you very much for coming on the show. No problems at all. Thanks for having me. Those who know me well will know how excited I am for today because my favourite player growing up. I was at your 300th game. I was at your last game against Fremantle. And it's been 10 years since you retired. I know you spent some time coaching at Port Adelaide and now you're in the real estate game with your wife. You give the listeners a bit of an insight into the last 10 years since your, your last AFL game. And also, big congratulations on your son Luke being picked up by the West Coast Eagles. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, look, it's been... Um Time, time flies. Um, ten years goes really quick. So uh, I had a year out of footy once I finished at uh, the Crows and coached my uh, son's local footy team and got the bug for coaching there for a little really enjoyed it and then an opportunity like the port and uh, spent a couple of years there as a development coach and then uh, two years as an assistant coach um, and yeah, absolutely loved my time there. It was uh, worked with some great coaches and. And it was good to go to a you know a, another club. Obviously, I've spent so long at the at Crows. Uh, it was nice to try a, a different club, and I wasn't ready to make the move to you know elsewhere interstate and uproot the family at that stage. So, um, thought I would jump at this chance, and, and absolutely loved it. And then um, from there, had a year coaching at um, at Glenelg in the under 18s. And, uh, we were lucky enough to to win a um, win a final there, win a grand final with those boys. So that was a you know, really ex- um, Enjoyable year, not not just that we won. I actually, coached some really good kids and had a great time. And then since then, well, actually, I've started um, real estate at the same time. And then it just become a little bit too difficult time-wise to fit in footy and and coaching and, and to do it properly. And uh, so now it's just been full-time real estate. Do a little bit of commentary uh, for Crows and Port home games when uh, the world is in a normal state, um, and we can get to the get to the games. And uh, yes, that's sort of how it's been over the last ten years. Been doing the real estate now for. Um, yeah, I to our sixth year, so uh, really enjoying that. And uh, yeah, Luke, uh, the, the middle one uh, got lucky enough to have his name called out, and he's off to West Coast. So um, yeah, really excited for him. Yeah, that's his, that was his dream. So it's great that he's got that chance now. And 
is uh, itching to get over there and get started. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be good fun watching his journey. Is real estate the, the main game now, or are you you're looking at possibly getting back into to coaching at any time? Uh, real estate's the main game for now, I think, to be honest. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure coaching... I mean, I, I love the, um, the coaching side of it. You know, in a, in a perfect world, we'd love to get back involved at some stage, but that wouldn't be at an AFL level. It would be more... Uh, uh, you know, maybe a sample level or something like that. But at the moment, that's uh, that's a fair way off to be to be perfectly honest. And enjoying uh, you know the real estate side of things, working with Andy and working with a great company at Harris Real Estate, and um, the flexibility it gives us to you know, spend um, still time watching our boys, and we can pretty much structure our days around you know our, our lifestyle, which we really enjoy. And there's lots of flexibility there, so uh, you know, certainly really enjoying that at the moment. Fair call. Going back to the early days, you were born and raised in the small town of Winaka. Now, I've got to be honest with you, I've never been there before. Don't know a lot about it, but what was it like growing up there in the country, and, and is there a lot of football being played over there? Yeah, look, I won't hold a grudge against you for not knowing where it is. Not many people <laughs> do. Uh, there's not many people in the town either, so I've got no idea how we even made a footy team um, back there, and we had under-12s, under-16s, um, what we call it, B-grade and A-grade, uh, So we and we filled all those teams. Uh, so, and there's probably about, I don't know, maybe 15 to 20 people in the actual town of Wanaka. So um, when I left Wanaka to come down to Adelaide, all that was left was a, um, a post office that was just um, out of someone someone's home, really. That's where the, the, the mail got delivered. So there's not much in there. Um, but I loved it. It was, uh, it was you know, I... I enjoyed the country lifestyle and um, growing up there and, and you know the footy days where you get there at 8 or 9 in the morning and, and you leave about 8 or 9 at night it's a full day event and everyone supports netball's there as well and um, you know real community atmosphere so certainly really enjoyed it and, and sport's a huge part of country communities uh, if you don't play sport you're sort of not really involved in the community so playing some tennis and basketball and all those sorts of things so really really enjoyed um, the lifestyle and it was a big move, to be honest, to come down to, to Adelaide um, at the end of when, you know, when I finished school for footy. But um, I had two older brothers that I sort of followed a little bit um, and was on their journey a little bit as well. And they played down at Adelaide footy-wise and, and sort of was a little bit accustomed to, to Adelaide and, and um, the football environment down here. So that was, um, yeah, a, a big move because I, I was a pretty shy kid and, uh, yeah, found it, found it difficult to sort of uh, transition initially, but certainly used to it uh, pretty quickly. Because your parents had to drive you an hour and a half twice a week to train with with West Adelaide back in the day, didn't they? Yeah. So we, we, during the juniors, I mean, we used to play Saturdays down the country uh, for our, you know, our junior footy down there, and then on Sundays when when I was playing the juniors, it was uh, the development squads, and we used to for those it wasn't so much the training; it was just more the game on the Sunday. So we drive or go an hour and a half from, from Adelaide so around about a three hour journey all up uh, and then once you progress through the levels obviously the, and the, it was under 17th and under 19th then um, there was a couple of nights a week training and then you know, I remember my last year of school it was um, uh, I, I started in under 17s and, and went all the way through the, the grades so I ended up playing a couple of league games at the end and then obviously there was you know two or three weeks a night um, two or three nights a week we were training and and playing on the weekend. So there's a fair bit of travel. And I was the youngest of three boys, and mum and dad had already done it for, for both of them. So, uh, and it was never an issue for them, you know, if, we, if any of the our boys, all the boys, we wanted to play sport or do anything, they certainly made it uh, uh, 
um, easy for us to do that and uh, it was never a hassle for them to, to take us anywhere and you, you do get used to travelling a bit in the country because that's what you need to do to to um, play the sport and get around so um, yeah grateful for them that uh, they did that for me and uh, yeah, there was plenty of K's done that's for sure. Well this journey led you to being recruited in the 94 pre-season draft uh, obviously by the Adelaide Crows. Your first season there in 1995 played primarily as a defender wearing the, the old number 37 guarantee. What yep. um, what were your memories in that first season playing with the likes of Chris McDermott, Tony McGuinness, Andrew Jarman, under Robert Shaw? Because not really, you look at the Crows' history, not really a lot is spoken about the Robert Shaw era. What was your relationship with Robert Shaw like and what was it like coming into a football club at that time? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was... It was pretty scary to be honest. And those, <laughs> for the, the drafts are totally different now. And, and I, the, the story behind my selection was there was about I did I did get selected in the actual normal national draft, which we just had uh, recently. Uh, there and then there was I think it was about five or six SNFL players were invited out to do the preseason at the Adelaide Crows, and obviously Paul weren't in the competition then. So. Uh, there's about five, six of us went out and trained, did the whole preseason, and there was another draft called the preseason draft in February of the next year. And then myself and Peter Vardy were, were the two selected to, to the Crows, and then yeah, the journey sort of began from there. And yeah, lucky enough, um, played. I think I came in halfway through the year and played every game um, for the remainder of the year. And I did. I got the nickname Rowdy when I uh, went to the Crows because I didn't really talk for the first twelve months. I just sort of <laughs> sat in awe and watched all these guys and. And because they were my heroes, you know, growing up, I'm playing, you know, with them, training with them, playing against some of them, and uh, I it was a bit of a whirlwind to be perfectly honest. You know what was what was happening. So um, loved it, absolutely loved it, and you know, it's that whole transition into an AFL environment, training, and in those days, everyone either had a full time job or uh, or at least at very least a part time job or studied and. Sort of train in the morning, then went to work and come back and train in the afternoon. So it's totally different to what it is now. But um, yeah, and no, I absolutely loved it. Was, was really lucky to play, you know, a, a good chunk of that that season and got some experience. And, and uh, not that successful was a club in those two years with Robert Shaw. It was, um, you know, we, we the Crows thought they needed a, a, a Melbourne-based coach to harden us up, so to speak. Uh, but it uh, probably didn't work out that that crash hard. And, and Robert Shaw was only here for two years. Um, he was a he was a coach that had a lot of great ideas and, and plans, but um, think on game day things changed a lot and rapidly. The players just couldn't keep up. To be perfectly honest, so it was it was different things being thrown at us all the time, and wasn't any consistency or continuity or anything like that. So it was a um, big learning curve for me. Obviously, I had no idea um, about coaches and uh, you know what to expect and an AFL system. So I was just sort of trying to learn and learn from the, the experienced players and get as much experience as I could. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because even 1996, the Crows won the first four games of the season by an average of 50, 60 points, something along those lines. And then just after that, it all went, it, it just all fell apart, really. So it was, it's interesting you say how he had good ideas, but it just didn't quite work out. Do you remember the end of 96 when when Blighty came in and got rid of you know McDermott, McGuinness, Jarman, Anderson? Do, do you remember that sort of period? Yeah, I certainly do. Yeah, it was... Um... Yeah, I guess uh, the club was uh, not not in a, a great position. I guess but, you know uh, we had our first coach, obviously Graham Corns, who did, who did a great job, and then uh, the club thought they needed some Victorian influence and Robert Shaw, and that didn't work. And then it was 
you know, what do you, what do, you do next? Where do you go to? And, and Malcolm came in and, and, as Malcolm does, made an impact straight away and made a statement. And uh, pretty scary for some of the young guys, um, you know, making a statement like that, getting rid of your senior players who are icons of um, SA football uh, and, you know, our better players. Uh, it was a... It was a big shock. He certainly shocked the group into this is real. You know, we're not here to mess around. Um, yeah, Malcolm's going to come in and, and make some changes. And, and we had his respect, to be perfectly honest, right from the start. One, because of what he did initially, but two, because of his playing career uh, and also his coaching career. You know, he, he coached in grand finals, hadn't won one yet, but had been there, had a lot of experience from Melbourne, you know, had that background behind him. And, and coming back to, to Adelaide, uh, you know, we, we weren't sure what to expect. We certainly weren't expecting to uh, win back-to-back grand finals from there. But he had a he had a very simple plan uh, that we all latched onto. Uh, we got as fit as we've ever had been at the club, and trained really hard before those final series to put us in a, a good position physically if we did you know, get there. And I think he he had a good balance there. For, you know, when when we were winning, he was he was a really good coach. When we when we weren't, he wasn't. He was a very angry man. And, some crazy things but um, yeah really had the respect for the players and uh, had a game plan that suited us you know I think that's the other thing you know, had a game plan that was simple but suited us and we all enjoyed it and momentum started you know it was, it was hard to stop in the end which was good so we had some success which was fantastic yo if you missed last week's episode with Greg Oddy, I suggest you go back and have a listen because it was a really good episode. Of course, ice hockey legend here in Australia, played over 380 games for the Adelaide Adrenaline and also represented Australia internationally. So definitely have a listen to that. But if you are still deciding whether or not you should, here's a little snippet of it to persuade you. It was, it was probably the moments after that in the hospital and you know, getting taken by ambulance and you know having falling off the stretcher in the ambulance, going through back streets at 120 um, yeah, so, and then going to that hospital and having that surgery done, it was, it was definitely an eye opener. I don't know if you've been to Lithuanian Hospital, but um, yeah, not quite the same as here. Just oh, just you walk in, it's like it's like a it's like a thing out of saw, right? Like you go in, there's flickering lights, dogs running around, there's blood on the wall, there's, um, and the guy that sewed me uh, didn't speak to me the whole time. I saw a reflection in half my head. Was, um, yeah, it was quite swollen, and um, so he wired me shut and just sent me off he didn't give me any pliers or anything so I found out later that I meant to have a pair of pliers right in case I uh, in case I needed to cut my way out of it Um, so if I had a vomit I would have been dead and then uh, yeah spent the next two weeks in the hotel room really and um, while the other guys went and played hockey just um, because I couldn't fly home so I had to wait the insurance company wouldn't let me fly home so they had to fly over a nurse to come back with me if you enjoyed that, you'll definitely enjoy the full episode, so go check it out. It was a really good chat with, with Greg Oddie. But until then, let's get back to Tyson Edwards. So going into that final series, what made Malcolm Blight such a, an influence? Like, What did he do that made you guys believe you could go the entire way? Um, I think he just made things simple and, and did, there's, there wasn't a heap of pressure on us. He just, you know, I remember... At the end of the minor round, he had this funny thing where he said, uh, you know, in front of the group boys, uh, you know, the letter came. We got a letter in the mail from the AFL. We've been invited to the finals. Um, you know, we've, we've, we've got through the first round, so to speak, of the minor round season. We've got an invite. It's, you know, it's down to eight teams. We've got one in eight chance to get there. And, you know, this week we'll, we'll plan and strategize and get our plan right and, 
wherever we need to play, we'll play and do our best. And, and um, you know, that, it just made it really simple. Gave us a lot of confidence because he'd been there before. Uh, and, it, you know, it was probably a pretty stressful time for him because he'd, he'd been there a lot before when made grand finals and won. And now he, here he was, in, in, you know, coming to the verge of another final series in his first year at the football club. And there's probably some expectation there for him. The people who employed him, obviously the footy club, but uh, you know he's going to do something pretty special with us. And I think the momentum meant to just build. As I said, we were really fit. We trained really hard coming into that final series about a month out, um, and he was prepared to lose, you know, a couple of soldiers along the way from injury, from training, uh, the way we were, just to give us the best chance if we did get there to to be, um, uh, you know, best chance I guess to, to be successful. So uh, yeah, it was just a pretty simple plan. He was confident uh, and he was calm and. And we just went out and played, and he was—he was, he was a pretty attacking coach, and I think that suited our group. We just let the players go, you know. And some guys didn't have many rules at all, you know. You know, we had some pretty talented players there, and he just let them play. And some others had some roles to play, and it was—it just worked really well. And what about that 1997 preliminary final? Incredible game, 31 points down at half time. You were still 20 odd points down with about 10 minutes to go, and then things just exploded. Do you remember what Blighty said at three-quarter time, and did you personally think you could you could still come back and win that game? Um, I think you sort of question yourself. Things weren't going super for us uh, that day, um, but we knew we had this fitness behind us. So if we could get one or two and get close, then the pressure come back on them because we didn't have any pressure. All the pressure was on any other Victorian team that we played, and uh, I know at halftime he wasn't happy. Um, and he gave us a bit of a rev at half-time. Trickle of time, I can't really remember what he, what he said, other than, let's just go for it. You've got nothing to lose. Uh, you know, why, why would we play in a negative fashion when if you're going to keep going down that way, we're probably going to lose anyway. Let's just go for it and let it, let it rip and see what happens. He did make a couple of slight sort of positional changes, I guess, and you know, but it was just more of a license to go for it and just to see what happened. And, and uh, you know, we certainly got that momentum going. And... Um, yeah, it was, was hard to stop. As I said, we had a really good group there, a good group of players, some real good young young kids coming through, and it, it gelled nicely. And, you know, we were we were really confident that in our ability to run the full game out, if it took us to the last 30 seconds to get it, we knew we were, we were capable of doing that. And, yeah, we just we just hung on to that momentum, and, and away we went. Yeah, because Darren Jarman kicked the winner, but you played a very important role in defence. Paul Hudson and Chris Grant... They scramble for a loose ball in the goal square. Grant throws it on the boot, and you smother it right on the goal line. And then a minute later, Scott West snaps it inside 50, and you take the defensive mark. Do you remember those moments? Because like so much of what you did in your career, that goes down as a bit of an unheralded moment, especially that smother right on the line. Because, I mean, who knows if that hit the post, could have gone through, but you were there to smother it right on the line. Do you, do you remember those moments? It's looking like the Crows. They lead by two points. What a turn-up after a 31-point margin at half-time. Crows were goalless in the first term. Bulldogs have been goalless in the last. Scott West again. It drops short. Edwards gets back there. The hand pass away. Jamison. Simon. Crows are in the grand final. Oh, look at them. They've gone mad. There's been so much wind and so much said. But the reality is the Dogs have missed out. Malcolm Blight and his men are through. Yeah, I certainly do. I mean, I, I think, um, I don't know if you look at it, it probably looked like it was going through for a point, but you never know. There's always a chance it could sort of bounce and dribble through. And 
Um, you know, we had a really tight defensive group. It was a, it was a really good group to play in. Ben Hart, Nigel Smart, Peter Caven, um, played back there. We, did, we just had a really good tight group that, um, you know, worked for each other. Rod Jemison was a bit of a leader down there. He sort of took me under his wing a little bit as a younger player when I first came in, and I loved playing in and around him. And uh, we knew what we had to do when you were roles. And, and um, you know, at that stage of the game, you sort of put everything on the line to try and make a difference. And, you know, you might look at those, you know, those couple of things, but there's lots of things throughout the game that happen that, um, you know, it's, it's like a close game and if any club loses, you you look at the last play or, you know, someone has a shot and misses, but there's a lot of things that um, happen before that, that that all add up as well. But you know, the, the, the emotion after the game, it was like we won the grand final. It was, um, yeah, we were out of control to be perfectly honest. I jumped in the Rod Jamison's arms and, and then we just grabbed whoever we could to, uh, you know, celebrate with. And it, it, it honestly felt like we'd won the premiership just then. And in the rooms was, was huge. There's hardly any room to move in there. There's people from everywhere. And it was just a great feeling. And, and Blighty didn't try and squash that too much. He just sort of let it happen. Because um, some some coaches try and calm you down and stop you. And, you know, come on, let's look at another game next week. He sort of just let it go a bit. And uh, I think it was, you know, in hindsight, the right move. And then, um, you know, the next week he... At training, he said, "Look, boys, the letter came again. We've got an invite to the grand final, and you know, we've got a chance to play in the big one." So it was, it was. Um, he, he just kept it pretty simple and let us go about our stuff. Yeah, well, fair call because I, I would still say to this day it would be one of the biggest preliminary final upsets of all time, and that was probably the moment for the Western Bulldogs to win a premiership, and and they weren't able to do it. What is the feeling like, and what is the build-up in grand final week, and when you actually get there? On the last Saturday in September, what's it like when you come up the race and onto the ground, grand final day, when you run through the banner? Yeah, look, it's a, it, it, you know, every player wants to be a part of that that grand final feeling, and it's not just the game day, it, it's, it's the build-up as well, and I've always thought, and I've actually heard quite a few other players speak now, that the prelim final is almost a game they enjoy more, um, for some strange reason, I think it's because you know, if you win that one, you're in the big one, and then, then you've got a chance. But you, you obviously can't have a chance if you can't get through this one. So the, the prelim final sort of a game, you almost enjoy a little bit more. But that grand final week, is just, it was just huge. It was just people everywhere. I think we had about 10,000, 15,000 people at training. Um, and, you know, we, we, were, we were still training reasonably hard at that stage as well. So it wasn't like, um, you know, nothing much changed for us apart from there was, there was uh, a lot of people were training. It was a big build-up. You know, lots of interviews, and even even that. You know, Blighty had a really good routine as far as we'll do away interviews. You're going to get asked for more, and that's great because now we're down to two teams, and that's what it's like. And we'll end all those on the Wednesday, and then it's just us for the rest of the week until Grand Final day. And obviously, we've got the parade, and this is what to expect. And been through it all before, so it's really come about delivering help for us. And yeah, the build up was huge. The parade was nice. We got over there to have a training session the day before, and and then. Um, yeah, the, the build up in the rooms, you can just you can just feel the buzz and the energy and you, know, you hear commentators and players talk about it, but you can absolutely feel it. You don't, don't hear a lot of what's going on, but you can just feel this energy. It feels like everyone is standing outside your room looking in at you and you can just feel that coming in at you and um, running out on the ground, uh, you know, down that race. The, you can hear the, the crowd getting ready to erupt and... Uh, yeah, it's, it's one of the best films, you know, once you win the premiership, obviously that's the best feeling you can have, but the build up to that and getting out in the ground and, you know, there's, um, 
people singing out the ground, there's bands out there, there's people everywhere, and it's just a completely different feeling to what you've ever had before. And, um, you know, it's a bit of a drug. You just want to keep, you want to keep, keep having it and keep experiencing it. It's just um, it's one of the best feelings ever. And then you, you hope you can perform on the day. And for us, you know, luckily, lucky we did and we, we got the result. But, um, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just a fantastic feeling. It's really hard to put into words exactly what you feel. But, um, yeah, it's obviously at the end when we win, it's just that elation and all that work you put in. And, you know, we started training for that grand final the week. We basically trained for 12 months before that grand final because we started training in Malcolm's first year the week after the grand final when 96 finished so we were basically training for 12 months getting ready for that wow. so there's a lot of a lot of joy and a lot of uh, I'm not sure what the right word is but um, I guess you're just so happy that you know all that work you put in um, come to fruition and, and you get that get that reward at the end of it because it doesn't always happen you know it doesn't always happen that quick either but for us, we were, you know, luckily it, it did. And do you remember almost taking the mark of the year in that grand final? <laughs> uh, it was a good effort. Dropped, it was very, very uh, good. Oh, I couldn't believe I dropped it, to be perfectly honest. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I stood uh, Nicky with Mark a bit on that day, and, and he lost his dad, you know, a couple of days before. And mm. It was a bit of a weird feeling for me as well, you know, playing on someone who you, you're trying to keep your head in the game. Um, and that, I even found that difficult thinking about him, you know, let alone how difficult it would have been for him to, weird feeling for me to be honest, playing on him. And, yeah, um, that's an interesting concept, isn't it? I, I yeah. believe it was the, it was actually the day before the grand final we lost that his dad. Yeah. 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 Um, so you sort of feel for him but then you try and play the game and, you know, you're trying to beat him and you think, oh, you know, I think he plays well but he's playing on me so I've sort of had a dozen, uh, you know, so it's, um, it's a weird one because it's more of a, you know, life than footy, you know, that, that's, that's huge what, what he went through and to, and he, he actually performed, you know, really well considering everything he was going through and, um, you know, he felt for him. But no, it was, it was just a, you know, it was a great day for us. Obviously, you feel for someone like him who the great result at the end of it, you know, would have been his dad looking down on him, giving him a, you know, presenting that medal to him or putting that, helping him getting around his neck. But luckily for us, you know, on, on, it was our day and we got that pleasure. And what is it like when the final siren goes and you've won the premiership and, you, and when you go up on the dais and you put that, or they put that medal around your neck and, and you can say, I am a premiership player. Is it just excitement or is it relief? What is? Can you explain that feeling? What a fairy tale ending for the Adelaide Crows. If they needed any more, they've done a lot in the last quarter. Yeah, it's just a fantastic last quarter. Eight goals last quarter. They're really... Eight goals straight, in fact. 11-11 at three-quarter time. Eight goals straight. When they've had the chances, they've made the most of them to really bury... St Kilda in this last final term of 1997. So there's nothing left now but to celebrate. So to speak, but we knew if we, we were we were home, and um, 
just you just start looking around at your teammates and you know I remember I was walking back after we kicked I go I don't know who kicked it but walking back to the back line with Brenny James and if you just look at him in the eye and give you a wink and you know you've got it just those little sort of memories and feelings you have that are sort of weird in some ways but you just it's just that you know little instant where you go yeah this is this is your dreams just come true and you've got you know 20 other mates that you you're gonna celebrate this or 20 i think we took three on the bench then 21 you know 20 other mates that you're gonna celebrate with uh, pretty soon and uh, and all there's all different stories you know how people get there and their their footy life and their different ages you know darren jarman who had come off of um you know one of his worst performances ever and then playing for hawthorne in 91 and he comes out and absolutely destroys St Kilda uh, and, you know, kicks, you know, basically wins the game for us off his own boot, really, to be perfectly honest. And, Five you know, goals so in the last quarter. Different, different stories and, and um, you know, we're, we're all out there you know, doing different things for different reasons and, and come from different different places. And it's just, uh, I don't know, I didn't even know how to explain the feeling. You, you just, you don't really know what to do. It's the first time you win. You just go and hug someone and you hug someone else and then you see a, a Tony Modra limp onto the field with these crutches and you feel for him and, and you know some other injured players who you know Mark Rusciuto didn't play and uh, Peter Barty didn't play Matthew Lipta but we had we actually had a quite a few injuries that year we didn't, you know, some of our players didn't play in that final and then you see them and they're crying because they didn't play and then you're so happy because you did and it's, there's all these different emotions um, and uh, yeah it's just a it's just an awesome feeling uh, and as I said it's a a bit of a drop. You want to you want to get it again, and you want to get back there and have another chance. So was the year after nineteen ninety eight completely different? Because you lost. It was a bit weird that year because you finished fifth, and then you lose the first final. But back then, you still had another crack at it. So you had to play four consecutive away games. You were twenty four points down against North Melbourne in the grand final. They missed so many chances, and you stormed back to win. And obviously, Mark Rusciuto and, and Peter Vardy got, got their opportunity to win a premiership. You had, what, Tregenza, Liptak and, and Modra that, that didn't get to win one. But what did it feel like to, to go back-to-back in such circumstance and also to have the ball in your hands at the final siren? The Crows are home. They've done what we thought was impossible. They've been to Perth, to Melbourne, to Sydney, to Melbourne, and they've come back. And the Crows! Super football time, no question. It's endorsed, it's fake today. Sixteen of them were down last year. Jalen Ritchie's third, and for six of them they've been their second. And their first, I should say. What's the difference in 97 and 98 back then, and now looking back at it, do you look at those two premierships differently? Yeah, look, it was... Um... The, the final series, as far as yeah, finishing fifth, is a bit weird. I mean, I think they changed rules after that because uh, we finished fifth and, and lost, lucky loser, so to speak. So we had to um, just basically keep winning on the road, and, and you know, that's the one of the angriest times I've ever seen Malcolm. You know, after we lost, I think we lost to Melbourne. We lost to Melbourne that first final, didn't we? And then yeah. uh, he he just absolutely trained us. Oh, I've never seen a team train as hard as what we did in a final series. That whole final series. It was competitive stuff. It was one on one. It was bash and crash. It was his philosophy was well. If we're going to go down like that, we're going to go down fighting uh, and, and, and training hard. And we're not going to lose this next game. Go out in straight sets. Um, 
playing the way we did against Melbourne. So I think we went to Sydney next, played in the wet in Sydney, uh, and won by six goals. I think to absolutely destroy them. I think uh, Mark Rashudo was great. Darren Jarman, you know, it just it was just a gave us a lot of confidence that game. That um, you know, okay, you know, back on track now. Let's go. Um, and then we you know, we travel again and, and have another. You know, got the Bulldogs again. It was like you guilty. That's that's the that's if we could pick a team, that's who we want in the prelim. Um, and, and smashed him that game. We destroyed him, yeah, destroyed him that one, and um, you know that just gave us huge confidence. And to be honest, there's still there was you know the Kangaroos were the better team. This is you know obviously played them. They won in '96, missed out obviously '97. They were back in '98, and they were the they were the better team out of everyone that was playing. Um, but we on the day they, they gave us a chance, um, you know, missed a lot of shots on goal, and kept us in it. And um, yeah, we 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 had a I, I guess a pretty stern debrief from Malcolm at halftime and he got pretty angry and once again pretty similar to the Melbourne loss he said there's no way we're going down losing like this the way we're playing because we haven't even tried a shot yet and he just said I just want you to go out there and absolutely attack as hard as you can uh, and just see what happens you never know and then the momentum, momentum started and the way it went and you know, Darren Jarman again uh, won us another game but you know there was it just it just turned and flicked for us. They gave us a chance. The momentum switched in the way we went. Yeah, different different feeling because we're still trying to, you know, I guess prove to, you know, going back to back, it's not an easy thing to do and that's, been, that's actually been one of the teams do it since but at that time there wasn't many teams that had gone back to back let alone an interstate team and, you know, no one from Melbourne was giving us a chance to win and we sort of, sort of wanted to prove to, you know, everyone that, that we could do it again and um, yeah we, we certainly got on a roll again and once again we, we, we have the same training method strategy before the finals we trained hard and we trained hard during the finals and we knew we were hard coming into the end of the year and, and we also had I think probably the one of the better things we had was you know we didn't have Brew and Peter Vardy played in that grand final the year before and they were really driving the group to get us back there because they, they wanted to be a part of what we were a part of the year before and that really helped, you know, as we did there, missing out really helped us when, when you know, we had a bad loss or a loss we shouldn't have had during the year or whatever it was, these guys sort of got us back on track and we thought of them, you know, what they would have gone through the year before and that certainly drove us. So, um, and then, yeah, you know, finished the game with a ball in my hand and wanted to keep it and the umpire back off me. And, but, yeah, just a, probably a bit more relief, that one, more than anything, because we probably had a bit of pressure on ourselves, not that anyone else is putting pressure on it, but we, you know, we really did want to do it again for real and, and, um, and Peter Vardy, we're able to do it. Referee says, fellas, take a break, it's half time. Hey everyone, I just want to say a very big thank you to those who have engaged with A5Q. I really do appreciate all the support. I trust you're enjoying delving into all things Australian sport and hopefully you will continue to stick around. It would be a massive help if you could please do me a solid subscribe to the podcast and hit me up with a rating and a review. Gaining as much positive feedback as possible helps boost my visibility and it allows the podcast to be seen by other Australian sports tragics out there. Now enough of that, let's get back into it because the second half of A5Q is about to get underway. There's many ways I could ask this question, but what went wrong in 1999? Yeah, I think um, part of the I think the biggest reason, we, we trained that hard in those two years prior. We were just out of gas. We were absolutely cooked. Um, we, we 
lost a heap of players. We had, uh, I think we had 10 groin operations at the end of 98 um, for guys that, and I was, I was one of them. Um, and we, our bodies, we just couldn't take it anymore. As I said, we, we basically trained for 12 months to win that first flag. Uh, well, it was 12 months. Um, week after grand final, which is just unheard of now. So we had 12 weeks of training before Christmas. Wow. Uh, and we had three we, you know, time trials back then. We did five, uh, lots of 1K time trials. And we did that three times before Christmas. And then we did the same thing pretty much the year before. You know, it's the same testing. Um, and they just, you know, we, we were part of each other. And, you know, we, we wanted to get back there again. And we trained hard. And we felt we trained harder than everyone else. And that was all the feedback we were getting from everywhere that that was our advantage, that we were fitter. And, um, and then it just caught up with us. We had, you know, lots of injuries. And, um, and then, you know, we started losing, obviously, in 99. And then Blighty, um, I think Blighty wanted to, to stop too, by the way, after, I think he actually wanted to stop coaching after the first one, to be honest. But I think the club talked to me to go and get him, and we won. And then said, look, you know, look, I've come back here. I've done what I what, you know, aim to do. There's nothing else for me to really you know, achieve now. But they talked him into coaching in 99. I think he'd have enough as well, um, to be honest. He, he, he was probably the, one of the worst coaches I've had in that 99 year. Um, really? You know, really, really angry, hated losing. He was so competitive. Um, and, you know, and on, on the other hand, he's, he's one of the best coaches I've had as well. You know, so it's, it's a strange. That, that's pretty much how I summarise. Summarise He's my best and worst coach I've ever had. Um, you know, and, and not so much his fault, just the 99. I think he had enough. He didn't have the players to you know, put him apart because we were all injured and banged up. And, um, yeah, that, that was the main reason, to be honest. He just, just didn't have the players there. So that's really interesting the way you put it. So did did you feel like his heart wasn't in it in '99? Like was it was it a different blighty to what was in '97, '98? When we started to review the season and started talking about the year 2000 and what the club should do and where it should head and all that sort of stuff, uh, I just couldn't get my I couldn't get my whole mind around it. I um, you know another pre-season, another another whole crack at it and. I've, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, the battery's really running down and uh, as Bob said, you know, I'm certainly committed to doing everything I can in the last seven weeks, but beyond that I think uh, probably Malcolm Blight in football and playing and coaching is, uh, is over, you know, I've had a pretty good run for 30 years, so I think it's just time to look at something else in your life and just take a spell. No, I didn't, not, not so much that, it was just, he was just so angry after we lost and I don't know, he just sort of lost his lost his way a little bit with because he as I said he just had it losing and the way we were losing and you know it was just frustrating for him and, um, you know we sensed that but we, we just couldn't we couldn't do anything about it we were missing all our, our better players so we just couldn't find a way through it um, and it was I think we'd all sort of come to the end you know had a great journey and um, you know no grudges held there by any means but it was just you know I think that group with him at the helm had you know we, we put a lot of work in it We'd uh, pushed ourselves to the limit. We just, we all had nothing left, uh, to be perfectly honest. So we, we just needed to, to part ways. It's in good sound in such a short time. Um, yeah, part ways and, and go on a different journey and start again. But you know, I, I felt for him because we, we didn't have the cattle on the on the park. And if you haven't got your better players fit uh, and feeling good about themselves, then you know you're, you're on the back foot right from the start. I mean, 1999. You know, there's a lot said about the the Premiership hangover or whatever it might have been, but 99 was the year you pretty much 
became a regular in the side. And from there on, you played at least 20 games, you know, every season up until 2009. What did that consistency come down to? Was it your training, diet, discipline, or all of the above? What was it that made you year become an absolute regular in the side? Uh, to be honest, I think it just comes out of me, me being sick of being inconsistent. And um, I, kept, I, I was sick of John Reed calling me every couple of weeks to say, you've been admitted. Um, you know, I, I thought I'd, uh, I could certainly play at the level. I thought I could really contribute at a high level. Um, and I was just sick of being inconsistent and you know, I had some, probably my wife had a, was as, as harsh on me as anyone and said, look, why don't, you, why don't you put everything you've got into it and just see what you can say, you know, I'd stop working and just dedicate a bit more time to footy and training. I've got, I've got as fit as I ever had been in the, in the off season and some days, you know, before we went back to training, I was training twice a day by myself, um, watched my diet, uh, you know, trained on Christmas Day for the first time and just put some some money in the bank early on and got some confidence from that and and then you know was was i guess spent a bit more time on my game critiquing my game getting feedback areas to improve um you know put my hand up i wanted to play in the midfield um you know that's where i want to play i, I, I don't want to just be a, a forward or a back i want to, i want to get in there and, and be one of the better players of the team and lots of different things come down to it but i was just a bit sick of being inconsistent uh, and wanted to do everything i could to be consistent and that was really my goal you know, for, for a long time, just I want that consistency. And to do that, you have to be consistent in everything. Um, that, and that's probably the thing I learned. You've got to be consistent off the field. You've got to be consistent with your diet. You know, you've got to be consistently hard but fair on yourself. And, you know, all these and train at high standard all the time. And, uh, you know, that, that's really where it stemmed from. And, and luckily, it, you know, it, it turned around for me. I know the club was keen on moving me on at you know, a couple of different stages early on in that, you know, my career. And, um, you know, they stuck with me and, and uh, you know, we, we did turn it around. But, um, yeah, it was, there was a lot of hard work put in, but it was, I guess, the, the time was right. And I think Gary Ayres coming into the club at that stage was perfect for me uh, because he he really, I guess, gave me the confidence because he obviously come in after Mount Blight. And we, I sort of started a bit of a journey with Blighty towards the end. He was helping me a little bit and then... Um, and Gary Ayers came in and sort of took over that, really. And he showed some interest in me. He gave me some confidence. He thought I could play. He gave me some opportunities in the midfield. And I did just grew from there. Because a, a lot was said about Gary Ayers, how there were, some players had a few issues with him or, or whatnot. Did coach you to a prelim in 2002. What was your take of, of Gary Ayers? Personally, he's, he's, probably, he's probably the best coach for me uh, that I had. Um, mainly, you know, a lot of it's because he actually showed some interest in me, in my life and me and my family, and it wasn't just football. We could have a conversation with him about other things. Uh, timing was a big one. Like, I was ready. You know, that sometimes that's got a lot to do with it. It actually worked out, you know, really well timing-wise that he came in. I was ready to be good. You know, I sort of made that decision. I am now ready to be a good player, not just to, you know, put me in the back pocket every now and then and hope I do all right. I wanted to be really good at wherever I played. Um, and he, he was ready to help me with that. So it, it just worked out really well you know, for me now. You know, there's some things with you know, his game style and things that, looking back, that I, you know, I, you know, I, I wouldn't coach that way. Um, he was pretty, pretty negative as far as the game plan and, and pretty structured. Um, and we'd just come from Blighty, it was the opposite. So it was a bit of a shock to the system for a lot of players. But uh, for personally, for me, it was, it came at the right time. And you know, we, we had a pretty good connection. And, 
um, he backed me in, you know, and I, I guess I repaid him in some ways because I started playing some better footy and he got confidence in me and, it was, you know, we had a pretty good um, a pretty good time while he was there. And now, obviously, we, you know, we were pretty close to, to winning that pre- premium as well. You know, we, we had some injuries that day, um, some of our better players, and if that didn't happen, who knows? Um, but, uh, yeah, it's funny how things work out. But um, we didn't get there and, you know, he was pretty successful while he was there, but um, at the end of the day, I think it was just his game plan his sort of style, I guess, that um, was, was, it was hard work, you know, it was pretty one-on-one, dour type of, of game plan, and, um, you know, that's, that's hard to keep at it, that's hard to keep at that style for a long period. Yeah, fair call. One chapter of the Adelaide Crows history I find isn't spoken about that much, and one question I'd really love to ask you, what was it like when Wayne Carey came to Adelaide in 2003, obviously, what happened, you know, at North Melbourne happened? He was such a massive name, and and what influence did he have on the group? What was your relationship like with Wayne Carey, and and the energy he brought on and off the field? What can you can you explain Wayne Carey's time at Adelaide from your perspective? And I can tell you that man on his left hand side there, Stephen Trigg, has played an enormous part in getting Wayne Carey to come to the Adelaide Football Club because that's what we believe is about to happen. It's been a pretty rocky road since then, but he's got himself back on track. He was pursued heavily by about five other AFL clubs, and at the end of the day, it looks like the Adelaide Crows have secured his services. Decision was uh, one of the hardest uh, that I've ever had to had to make in, in definitely my uh, in my football career. Anyway, all clubs that I've spoken to, not include the, the five clubs that. Uh, that uh, I nailed it down to um, in the last uh, three or four weeks. It's been a, a very difficult one. They've all been um, totally professional in the way they've gone about it and uh, could have seen myself easily playing at uh, any of those clubs because uh, the way they presented their club and, and, um, and, and the people involved were, were fantastic. In saying that, um, I've obviously come to the decision that uh, I, would, I would like to play with uh, the Adelaide Crows next year. They've been there from the word go. They were the first club to actually uh, approach me when uh, I decided I'd play football again. And the way they've gone about that um, has been um, very, very professional. Wayne Carey, he's kicked three. Good chase from Osmond. He brushes him aside. Hamble inside. Hamble wants to give it back to Carey. Left foot snap. Oh, what a goal! What a goal for Wayne Carey. He's kicked four. I guess we were close to the club. To, uh, were close to you know winning the big one again, and, and I thought Wayne would be you know, somewhat of a, a piece of the puzzle. When you know we never really had a, a key centre forward. You know, Matty Robin was our centre forward, and he was really mobile in our Premiership years. Um, you know, never had a. You know, Mods was there as a as a full forward, but then uh, Malcolm moved moved Mods on, and we, we never really had a forward you know, since then. Uh, you know, key forward, and, and obviously he had stuff there. And, we knew about that, and we, we were just hoping we'd get, you know, close to, close to full fit. Um, Wayne Carey coming to our club because we knew he'd add something to us, and um, you know, he, he's, he's uh, I think as you hear him now on, on uh, the TV, like he's just a really honest guy. Like he, he had some baggage when he came, and he was really open about that. And there was things that happened while he was there early on, and he was just open about it. He, he didn't hide anything, and. Um, you know, he, he trained really hard. He was a great competitor. He was he was a great uh, teacher to our, our fours. I got along really well. Uh, and he started playing some, probably not back to you know Wayne Carey that we all remember, uh, just dominating games. But, um, he still had bags of four and five and, and, you know, played regularly. Yeah, yeah. He, he, 
playing, and he was probably just like a week or two off of being really close to his old form, and then he, he hurt his knee. I think he slid into a goal point post or something rather, and that was that was sort of the end of him from there. Pretty much, he just couldn't get back again. But um, yeah, I mean, just a you know, little bit similar to when Darren Jarman came to the club. You know, he's sort of in a war of these guys. What they can do on the training track now, now Wayne you know, couldn't quite move the way he you know, could early in his career, and we all knew that. We weren't expecting him to completely dominate, but you know, we were all pretty happy to kick the ball into Wayne Carey into our forward line and let it go to work one on one, rather than doing it against us for so goddamn long and <laughs> destroying us uh, all the time by himself. So, um, but yeah, great competitor. He trained hard. He got fit. He did. He worked hard. He, he did everything he could to try and make it happen, and it nearly did. It nearly did, but. Didn't quite come off, um, but I really enjoyed playing with him. Really enjoyed my time with him, and it was it was a good time to um, you know have some like, someone like him at the club. Yeah, nice. And the year after, you know, he retired and and Gary Ayres left. There starts the Neil Craig era. Now Neil Craig, you know, famous sort of coach at Adelaide. His era, he made the finals every year from two thousand and five to two thousand and nine, but for one reason or another. You guys just couldn't get it done in finals, and one thing that sticks out in a lot of people's mind is both the 2005 and 2006 prelims against West Coast. West Coast by 16, and they are into the grand final to take on the Sydney Swans next Saturday afternoon. You think it's all over? You would think it's all over. It's all over now. An all-time classic at Amy Stadium. What a win! By the West Coast Eagles, met almost by silence. What do you think it was in those years, and, and even to a certain extent 2009, that you just couldn't replicate your form in finals? I think if you had Malcolm Blight sitting in his box, I think we would have won. The, one of the real strengths of Neil Craig was uh, he stuck to his game plan, and he stuck at it until he got the best at it, but he didn't really ever change it. Um, and I, I, I assume this is my own personal opinion. If we just tweak things a little bit offensively in either 2005 or six in those prelims, we would have won both of those games, no matter what you know Benny Cousins did to us here at Footy Park or, or what happened. But we were just so rigid, and, and you know the opposition knew us really well, and that's fine. Like most most teams know what opposition teams are doing, but it, you know, sometimes you just can't stop them because they're too good at it. And that was his philosophy. We're going to, we're going to become elite at this style, um, and no one's going to be able to stop us. Like we're just going to, if we lose, okay, great. Well, that's good learning. We're going to, we get better. Then. We're going to get better. And we were, the, you know, we were no doubt we were training the hardest of any club in the AFL. We were the fittest. And there, uh, there's two things for me. What one was in a lot of those final series, we were worn out coming into them. This is my own personal belief. We just we, we trained a little too hard, uh, and two, he was just a little bit too rigid in his style and, and wouldn't change anything. Um, and I think if he if he simply just tweaked that a little bit, because sometimes that can almost just make you feel better as a player as well. That you know, Malcolm Bright comes in and goes, "You're just going to play. I just want you to go." You know, if Craigie said that to us at I don't know three quarter time or one of those prelims or half time. You actually do start to feel better anyway, rather than just going out there and trying to do the same thing. So fatigue might not have, you know, might not have been a factor. But those two things for me were the, were the, were the you know, his biggest strength was his weakness in the end. And we couldn't lose to Sydney over Craigie's time. You know, we we won in Sydney, we won here, 
and Sydney played in both those grand finals in 0506 and we knew that's why they probably hurt so much those prelims because we knew well, we thought we knew if we got into them we'd have to win one of them against Sydney we, we, there's no chance they could beat us in both if we got through and it was hard to take you know because we, we, um, we thought we were a huge chance we had a good team we were well drilled but we were just a bit rigid I think uh, and, and I think it cost us See, had you had beaten Collingwood in 2002, I don't know how you would have gone against Brisbane, if I'm honest, but I, I agree with you. 2005 and 2006, had you would have beaten West Coast, you would have won back-to-back premierships again because Sydney just didn't know how to, how to beat you guys. Yeah, well, our, our game style was pretty similar to Sydney, to be honest, and we, we embraced how they played. They were very defensive, one-on-one, and we had a plan that worked against them. And we, we knew it would work. It was hard work. It wasn't it's not it wasn't an easy option. Uh, we all had to work together and help each other with that. And it wasn't about anyone being heroes. And you know, there wasn't going to be a Darren Jarman pop out and win against Sydney because they just didn't let it happen. You know, it was going to be a grind. And there's going to be some things we need to do to help each other to, to do it. And we all we stuck to it and it, and it worked. Um, and you know, you know we both we both agree with each other here. But if we if we got through to one of those well, both those finals we got through we would have at least won one um, um, but you don't so you're not good enough to get through it so you don't get the chance we didn't get the letter from the AFL to advise the grand <laughs> final that Bloody kept telling us which, which never happened I don't think but he, that's, that was his story um, and yeah it, it, that's just the way it was so it, it was it was really hard to take I, I you know, was really annoyed with both of those and still am to be honest but we didn't Let's get through one of them. You know, play both. I guess, guess we've got a bit of our own medicine back against. You know, that's what the Bulldogs feel about us and those two prelims. Yeah, both ninety-seven, ninety-eight. We've got a bit of our own medicine back. It's a good equivalent. But so, do you? I mean, you won two premierships, so I'm sure that you know you're very proud of that. But do you look at your career and think, yeah, I won two premierships, but I could have potentially won three or four? Oh, hundred percent. I think. Um, I think at times, you know, I think. Definitely in those that, that, that period, oh five, oh six, you know, through that stage, we had a we were really confident in how we were playing footy and, and confident in our game style, and we backed in Craigie, and we all knew what we needed to do, and we knew if we got two or three goals up against the team, they weren't going to beat us just because of our style, um, and that happened a lot. And we, you know, we actually, we think we won ten or eleven games in one of those years in a row. Um, and we just knew that if we got up, we weren't going to lose. And that's against anyone. And that's a really good feeling to have. And it's, you know, it's sort of more annoying that, you know, we didn't get the chance to put that out on the big stage. Um, you know, because we had a home final, one prelim, and we played one away and we lost both. And so it's, uh, yeah, disappointing. But that's footy. It's a, it's a tough industry. And, you know, still, I mean, I, I just loved playing finals footy. Um, that's that's what you gear up for. That's what you do all the work for. That's what you train in the off season for by yourself. Um, yeah, that's why you, you put in the hard work. That's why you play with injuries and you know all those sorts of things. And, um, that that's what I look forward to. And we were lucky. We, we did play a lot of finals series with Craigie, and you know we, we probably shouldn't have played as many as we did. You know, he, I think he got us to some final series because of how good a coach he was. Um, that we shouldn't have been at because we we're just so well drilled and structured. But in the end. You know, when we needed to, to switch that a bit, but we didn't, and I, I honestly believe that cost us a bit. 2009 was the year where you made the semi-final, and for me personally, I think you were really, really unlucky to not at least make a prelim. I mean, you had such a good blend. You had sort of the older players, you had the middle tier, and then you had the real young players. 
To lose that to Collingwood, did you know at that time that was your last chance to win another premiership? Huge numbers around the ball. Taken by Dangerfield. Handball smothered. Goodwin against O'Brien. O'Brien lost his footing. Picked up by Dangerfield. One last three-quarter time break here before we get into the rest of uh, the interview with Tyson Edwards. We're going to keep it South Australian, keep it Adelaide Crows. I've had another special guest on the show, which will be available in full in due time. I had Graham Corns on the show, who was, of course, the inaugural first ever Adelaide Crows coach. That's something no one will ever be able to take away from him. He led the Crows from 91 to 94. Here's a little snippet. I underestimated a couple of their players. Like... Sean Denham was supposed to be a tagger, you know. He was supposed to, you know, I anticipated he would tag Tony McGuinness, and he did. But he got off the leash. Michael Long got off the leash, you know. Um, I didn't, I didn't play enough, I didn't pay enough attention or impart enough demands to our midfield for their defensive action. And it was as simple as that. They, you know, Kevin Cheedy, I spoke to him about it. He said, look, he told, look, we've only got to kick the next two goals and we've got the rest of the game to kick five goals. And that's what that's what happened. And we missed two really easy, like Sean Wren missed a goal before halftime. Andrew Jarman missed a goal in the last quarter. Like, easy goals. And, and I don't think we'd... So we'd played away from home for the, almost the, the previous month. And I've, I've often said the guys didn't didn't recover, rehydrate and prepare well enough. That was a little snippet of Graham Corns talking about that fateful 1993 preliminary final where the Crows led at halftime by 42 points only to surrender that lead and lose to Essendon. The full episode, as I said, will be available very soon, so stay tuned. But until then, let's get back to the great Tyson Edwards. 2010 was you know, a terribly disappointing year for the Crows. You lost the first six games. You had... Players that were just shadows of themselves from the previous year. So Paul Pleasure, Chris Knights, Andy Otten, Nathan Bock, Bernie Vince. If they couldn't get out on the field when they were playing, they were just nowhere near the level they were the, the previous year. And that was, of course, your final year. Your your last game was against Fremantle. Do, do you still feel disappointed in your last season? Not necessarily being dropped, just the way that it was handled. Um, that's, what, that's, that's what I was more disappointed about because I... 
finished up the way I did. I mean, I had a chat to Neil Craig a few weeks before that because, I mean, as you just said, we were, I knew it was going to be my last year. We lost the first six. It was looking really ugly. Had lots of injuries. And, you know, I said to him, so look, if you, I know this is going to be my last year, but if you want to play some younger players in the midfield or in my spot and you want me to finish up, then, you know, I'm happy to do that. Like, I've, I've, I've had my time. This is my last crack at it. Uh, it's not going to work out. We're not going to play finals. We just lost the first six. That's that's not on the radar. Um, you know, that's if, if you want that to happen, let's do it. And, you know, we both walked out of that meeting, and then you know, a week or so later, he rings me and says, you know, you, you dropped, and that part of it, we just got mis we just had a miscommunication there because in my mind, I was never going back to play SNFL. Um, if he didn't want me to play, and I was, you know, if he didn't see me playing at that stage with all the injuries we had. Uh, if you couldn't get a game then you, you were never a chance of getting another game ever uh, so I, he rang me and wanted me to travel interstate with the teams you know you dropped but I went to come to fly and stay be there as an emergency um, if you know if no one gets injured then I want you to fly back the next morning at, at the red eye and drive to Manham and play for West Adelaide against Sturt at Manham um, on the Sunday and uh, you know I I said, well, that's not what we discussed. That's not how we planned it. You know, my proposal to him was, if you want me to step aside, that's cool. Just give me one last game at home, you know, so I can say goodbye to everyone. The kids can run out with me one more time. Thank everyone that's been, you know, part of the journey. Um, if we're not playing finals. If we were playing finals and we we're on the track for that, it would have been a totally different conversation. It would have been, well, I'll just finish. I you know, wouldn't have asked for anything because you know, that's, it wasn't done back then to give someone a, a farewell game, so to speak. And if you've got bigger fish to fry as far as finals, then you don't need that getting in the way. So, um, but that certainly wasn't the equation, and that's you know sort of what I put forward to him. But he had a different plan, and told me I was dropped. He wanted to do that, and I said, "Well, I'm, I'm not doing that." So you either you give me one more chance to you know to show you that I can do it, or um, you tell the media that I'm injured or sick this week and give me another crack next week and I'll prove to you that I can still play or I'm finished. Um, and he said, well, I can't do any of the first two. So I said, well, there's only one left, so I'm done. Um, but anyway, the, he, someone at the club changed his mind. I think it was Todd Viney. Um, he was there at the time and said, you know, why don't you give Tyson a game next week, which he did, and really grateful for that opportunity because that's, that's a hard thing to do, you know, as a coach that, like Craigie, that's pretty rigid. Um, to change his mind completely on that because he didn't want to give me that last game because it's with all the great games that I was involved in as far as finals and premierships that's right at the top as far as one of my most memorable games because I got the opportunity just to thank everyone one last time and I was able to perform at a reasonable level and that's what I wanted to do for the people that were there and supported me and that were watching and part of my journey I wanted to show them that you know, this is some of what you saw throughout the 16 years. Hopefully I can put a bit on display today. And um, Yeah, really grateful that I got that chance. But uh, it, it was really messy, you know, that that week period. Um, and that's, that's probably the most disappointing thing. But, you know, I played for 16 years. I've got nothing to win about. What's it like for an athlete when they know it's all over? I was okay. I mean, I, it was pretty emotional when he said, you know, that's it then, you're done. Because I sort of as I always wanted to know when that last game was um, because I wanted to I wanted to you know, perform, when it, wherever it was, that last game. Um, so that was emotional when he said, no, you're done, and then it, then it changed and I got my last game. And then I quickly switched into, I've got to perform. You know, he's, he's gone out of his way here to give me this last game. 
which you know it wasn't the in thing to do then by any means. And this is halfway through the season, so I, I've got to perform. I, I can't go out there and get three kicks and look like a deal. So you know, I uh, I got a program for the weekend from Stephen Swerve, who was our fitness guy, and said, you know, what do I need to do to be as feel as good as I can for next week? And, and I was training in the rain on the Sunday morning, you know, getting getting myself ready. And I was, as much as you try and enjoy, you know, the week and, and the build up, and you know, I did try and breathe it in. Uh, I, I I was a lot about performance as well. Still, I, I still wanted to play as good as I could. Uh, and it sort of took away a little bit, I guess, from being able to enjoy the week. But I didn't want to walk away after or walk off the ground after that last game thinking that was embarrassing. You, you ask the coach to give you one more game and then you, you play like that. So that was a big thing for me. And, you know, I, I thought I performed reasonably well my day. And, you know, there's always things that you, you want to do better and, and those sorts of things. But I thought I could I could walk away with my family and friends, you know, feeling pretty proud that this old bugger, he's played pretty fair well and he, he still come out and played pretty well in his last game. And I think I, I just wanted to make them feel good about that as well. And, um, yeah, it was an emotional time. I, I was ready to finish, though. Um, so I, I was lucky. I didn't have a heap of long-term injuries that held me out or stopped my career. So I, I was ready to step away. And it's probably a fair bit of relief, to be honest, that it's done. You know, um, spend some more time with the family and watch the kids grow up and help them. And I don't have to. I don't have to work my ass off every day to get fit, watch my diet, not be able to go out to a party or. You know, not be able to have a late night on a Friday night because I've got footy the next day, or you know, the family has to, you know, not do this because of me because that's what it was. That's what it's like as an athlete. You, you have to be pretty selfish, and your family does suffer a little bit along along that way. I'm, you know, not saying we wouldn't do it again. Of course we would, but you know, there's things that they have to miss out on. But there's other things they get. So you know, it sort of crosses each other out. But there's it was sort of enough of me now. Let's um, let's get back to family life, and I'm I'm down the bottom of the pecking order and. Let's put everyone above me for a change and, and go and live our life that way, which is what I was really looking forward to. Yeah, absolutely. And just as now where we are about to finish, one thing is uh, through your career, you were the, the one word people describe you as underrated. You were always underrated. They say you should have won best and fairest and all Australians, and, and I 100% agree with that for sure. Football is a, obviously a team sport, but are you disappointed you never won an all Australian or a best and fairest? Because during your prime of, say, 2002 to 2008, I, I think you should have won at least a couple of best and fairest and all Australians. Um, I suppose best and fairest. Um, you know, those, I mean, it would be nice just to have on the resume or nice for the family to say, Dad or my son or whoever uh, won one. Um, it was never a huge driver for me. Um, but you look at who I was playing with, you know, Mark Rusciuto, Simon Goodwin, Andrew McLeod, Ben Hart, you know, four of the best crows that you're ever likely to talk about. Um, and they were, they won them all with those. So if, I, if I'm losing to those guys, uh, that's cool. You know, that, that doesn't, that sits well, you know, with me. Would it be nice to yeah, probably have, you know, at least one of them on, in the bank, but probably more so for me, not all Australian. That, that, that would be more important to me than a club champion. Um, you know, there's a couple of years that I was pretty close and, the All Australian thing sort of it had some it was it evolved differently then as well. I know now there's the you know there's a squad and you sort of get recognised for that and then um, the teams picked a bit differently now than what it was you know in 
when I was playing through that era, it seemed to be the same guys just got picked every year. It wasn't so much on the year you had. It was a thing for me that I looked at and thought, hmm, not sure about a couple of those, you know. And I suppose you have them every year, but, um, yeah, I probably would have preferred to have some, I definitely would have preferred to have some more Australian dominate than, than a club champion. Um, you know, it's always nice to have that read out. Um, you know, when someone's about to introduce you or something like that, I'd, I'd much prefer an All-Australian than anything else because then you know you're the best of the best. Um, It's an interesting take. And Tyson, I just want to ask you, in fact, I've just got three more questions and I'll ask them all in one here. These are my favourite questions. Who is the best player you ever played with and why? Who's the best player you ever played against and why? And lastly, who is the best coach you ever played under and why? Best player I ever played with, and as I said, I've got to play some beauties. I had Mons and Rennie and McLeod and Rashudo and all these guys. Um, mine's Darren Jarman. Amazing um, on both feet as well, left and right yeah, foot. Yeah, yeah, just, just, you know, he sort of epitomised what I pictured an AFL player to be like when I was growing up. Skills were huge for me. I, I would never like a player or you know look up to a player that couldn't kick both feet, and he, he was you know probably the best that's ever done that. Um, he could take a high mark. He was aggressive. Uh, he was skillful. He was, did things that others couldn't. You know, and he was he was just a super player. So he's he's the best um, that I that I played with. Played against it's it's always a damn tough one. But I I can never go past Michael Voss. Michael Voss in his prime was intimidating. Uh, he was a captain of the super team. He had the respect of the whole competition. Uh, he was super tough. He was aggressive. Uh, he could break games open. He could uh, you know I. I can never get this picture out of my mind with him and Scott Burns when they had that collision. I can't remember what year it was in the, in the grand final when oh, yeah. cleaned up, well, Scott Burns was trying to clean up Bossy and Bossy just bounced back up, gave off a goal. I think I think he handballed and gave off a goal and then got back in Scott Burns' face. He probably couldn't breathe at the time, Bossy, um, but he just bounced back up, jogged back to the centre, and you know, let's do it again. I love it. You know, you keep bringing that all day, and I'm just going to I'm just going to thrive off it. And he was an inspirational leader. I just love the way he went about it. Um, and I obviously played against him, he was so intimidating, and um, I, I thought he was the, the full package. Now, once again, you know, played against Wayne Carey, who destroyed us. I played. I was lucky enough to play against Gary Abbott Senior and Junior, and um, Jason Dunstall and Dem Brown. And all of that, you know, it's, it's crazy. Chris Jard, you know, Ben Cousins in his prime. I know Ben Cousins got his issues, but him in his prime, far out. So it's 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 a damn hard question to answer. But I think for a full package, um, Bossy's the one for me. And, you know, I got to meet him and work with him at Port, which was super. And I, I probably will never, ever change my mind because Bossy's one of the nicest people we ever got to meet. You know, I, I got to know him really well. 
Um, he texted me the other day when Luke got drafted. You know, he's just a generally ripping, just a ripper of a guy. And he, you know, when when someone's as good as what they are at, at their craft, uh, and he's a very good coach too, by the way. But then to be a, a good person with that, man, it just tops it off to me. So um, yeah, he's he's at the he's at the top of the tree for me. And then best coach, I mean, as I said earlier, like Malcolm Blight was my best and worst. Um, but for me personally. Gary Ayres was actually, personally, he was the best coach for me. Um, and, and mainly because of the timing and how it all worked out for me. I was ready to be good and he was ready to give me some, give me a chance and it, and it worked out. You know, it, it, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's probably the best way I can sum it up. Very interesting. Tyson, I just want to say thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. It's been an awesome chat and I wish you all the very best in everything you're doing now out of football and with your, with your wife and your three boys. And that's a wrap. Thank you to everyone for tuning into A5Q. Don't forget to spread the word, subscribe, leave a rating. Until next time, old sport.